You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be discussing The Devil and Max Devlin, released March 6th, 1981. It was written by Mary Rogers, based on a story by Rogers and Jimmy Sangster, directed by Stephen Hilliard Stern, and released by Buena Vista, a.k.a. Disney. The working title for this film was Miracle Max... Jimmy Sangster was a regular writer for the Hammer films, including Blood of Dracula, which we reviewed for Patreon last year. And this was originally conceived in 1973 as a Hammer script called The Fairy Tale Man. It was set to star Vincent Price as a dead actor who collects children's souls for the devil. He bought the rights back from Hammer while the film was in turnaround and sold it to Disney. Disney president Ron Miller brought on Mary Rogers to rewrite can you make it less about stealing children's souls yeah. <laughs> i forget why we bought this <laughs> <laughs> maybe just one child yeah. the film's multiple uses of the word hell caused an angry letter writing campaign despite the same word being used in previous disney films like Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and sleeping beauty though i imagine it was used more in this film than in other films but they're not saying like what the hell right or, they're talking about the actual place yeah we open with Max Devlin, played by Elliot Gould. He's parking a car, and he steps out with a donut in his mouth. He walks into the Witsit Riviera in North Hollywood, just east of Valley Village. In the apartment complex, all the residents are standing outside the manager's office, complaining to each other when they notice him approaching and turn their questions on him. He walks past them into the office and invites them in one at a time, but everyone enters simultaneously. One tenant complains about cockroaches. I have cockroaches. No, you don't. In New York, they have cockroaches. Here we have palmettos, and they're harmless. Another tenant asks if her granddaughter can stay for a couple days, but Max reminds her that the owner strictly forbids children from the complex. But he calls the complex Grand Manor, even though outside it clearly said Witsit Riviera, which is the actual name of the apartment complex. (laughs) Another tenant complains about getting an eviction notice for having a parakeet, but it's a blatant violation of the rules and he says yeah you can't have that and uh i can't let everyone have parakeets just because they want it i uh i looked up this apartment building by the way i did too and uh there are units for rent and i just wanted to point out that they still have a no pets policy oh they do yeah they do allow children but oh that's good no pets (laughs) so think the times they are a changing (laughs) for all the rules he announces max blames the owner of the building until one of the tenants points out that he actually owns the building, and Max quickly excuses himself to avoid their difficult questions. Max chases another tenant, demanding his rent, and the man runs across the street. As Max gets to the corner, a blind woman accidentally trips him with her cane, and he's flung into traffic and crushed by a passing bus full of Hare Krishnas. They all pray over his body, and we get this visual effects sequence of people floating through a void toward a foggy red light. They're they're not just floating. They're screaming in terror. Yeah, and they're drifting through the air. This footage is actually recycled whole cloth from the movie The Black Hole. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, believe me, I, I recognized it. I was like, this all seems very, very familiar. <laughs> it was uh, one of the most interesting shots of this film, yeah. so that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't come from this film. Yeah, it's the ending of the black hole is so bizarre. Everyone is screaming except for Max, who doesn't quite understand what's happening. We get a wide shot of what hell looks like. There's massive explosions and crowded bridges. There's like all- a flesh wall with eyeballs. Yeah, and all stuff. the buildings have eyes. It's creepy. Max tries to convince himself that it's only a dream. I'm having a bad dream. I'm having a bad dream. When he floats into what looks like Hell's courtroom, it's like carved from obsidian with flames and smoke all around. And Bill Cosby is there. He introduces himself. <laughs> kind of makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> a little early. No, no, no. He's, this guy's playing a character, don't worry. He's not supposed to be here yet. In, insert John Lovitz's I Deserve This from Little Nicky. I don't know if I've actually seen that movie. Oh, really? Yeah. It's all right. It's it's watchable. Bill Cosby introduces himself as Barney Satin. Barney Satin, Soul's manager. Barney introduces everyone on the board and welcomes Max to hell. Max's lifelong sins are read out by a robotic voice, but they honestly don't amount to much. Like, he doesn't seem that terrible a guy. One of the board members points out that these are all misdemeanors. He gets called out for cheating on tests, cheating on his taxes, and proposing marriage to 11 women, but never following through. He also gets a strike for failing to assist Agent Hargraves, but he doesn't seem to know who that is or what this means, and they project a picture of Agent Hargraves on the wall for Max to identify, and it's the blind woman who asked for help crossing the street before he tripped and fell in front of the bus. He calls this entrapment, which I think yeah. is actually fair because she caused his death. But, like, I mean, there's different, yeah, I guess there's different levels of sin, though, because, like, isn't this considered a sin of omission? Like, failure. What, not helping her? Failure to do something as opposed to a specific act, like an active Yeah, that's possible. Sin. But it's still, it's the person that he, that was pretending to need help didn't actually need it, which is why he calls it entrapment. For his sins, Max is condemned to level four of hell, and Barney insists that it's horrible, so I'm assuming All Night Long just plays on loop. (laughs) They will send him back to Earth for two months, and if in that time he can find three specific people and corrupt them, then they're making a deal with him that he can stay alive, and they will take his place in hell. Uh, Dante's Inferno has the fourth circle of hell reserved for guilty of avarice and greed. Okay. I guess that's not completely out of the, yeah. I'm assuming they're giving everyone this deal and hoping that it works like a chain letter or a pyramid scheme where if you you get three people to replace you, then they keep expanding the circle. Yeah, I mean, that's kind. I think that's kind of the idea, but I think the idea is also probably to get the people who are... Least likely to be there. Yeah, least likely to be there, you know, but using people who are not, like, the worst of the worst, people who are mildly redeemable yeah you know because they feel like they have leverage against them maybe max has some ideas of people that he could trap and send back to them but they don't want random criminals they want corrupted innocent people children max expresses some reservation about corrupting kids to take his place in hell but eventually he agrees to the deal back on earth he has a blanket over him on a stretcher and he leans forward and yanks the blanket off terrifying the emts on the scene who just finished tucking all of his guts back into his belly, probably. But he's <laughs> but fine now. But you don't now. see any of no, that. No, we don't see anything. 
He makes a run for it, away from the cheering Hare Krishnas who think they just resurrected a man. He sits down for coffee at a local diner when suddenly Barney Satin is sitting across the table from him. Max takes a second to recognize Barney, even though they were just in hell together. Yeah. <laughs> but um, eventually he concludes that this man is part of a dream that he just had about hell. Also, what what is the purpose of the gimmick that Barney is invisible? Like why, I don't know. Why why would why not just have him be there? Like, uh, it would make sense since he's wearing costumes to fit in. Right. That's that was my gonna be my yeah. question is why is why is why he is he wearing a hard hat? Yeah. If he's from hell. And invisible to anybody but him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If he had been wearing the same like like a really dapper suit everywhere, like in just like appearing like on a motorcycle but in a suit or something like that. Yeah. Like was the motorcycle invisible it's or a weird choice, yeah. Or, <laughs> Didn't we have that joke in uh, Oh God book two earlier this year where he's driving the girl on a motorcycle and the motorcycle is just autopiloting down the street? The man who runs the diner is impatient waiting for Max's order because he can't see Barney and thinks Max is talking a lot to himself like a crazy person. Barney informs Max that no one else can see him. You're crazy. You're crazy. You know that? You must have just escaped from the funny house <laughs> want to be a friend hey do you know this guy yeah yeah i've seen him around that's what i thought when max gets louder and angrier the man who runs the place threatens to call the police on him max stands to leave and pay his bill but on the way out he notices in a mirror by the cash register that he doesn't seem to have a reflection it's actually kind of a neat shot because I think they just cheated him toward camera and made it look like he doesn't have a reflection. But I, I thought I thought that they had a twin. I don't think so because the guy behind him in line and the and his reflection turn their heads too perfectly in mm. unison to be twins. But it's possible. Maybe they just got it really really good for one take. But did the guy behind him in line notice that he didn't have a reflection? It seems like he does because he gives him a look. Yeah, I, I would be like immediately like, okay, one I'd of just us be like, is... hold on, I know I have a stake here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> just stab him in the chest with a big t-bone what and that how you kill vampires i never paid very close attention in in van helsing school outside barney informs max that inhabitants of hell don't have reflections barney and max step into a phone booth to synchronize their watches which reminded me of bill and ted's excellent adventure mm-hmm. when the title characters do the same thing with rufus barney reminds max that he has two months until midnight may 15th and he needs to turn in three signed contracts for people's souls in exchange for his own freedom. Max asks how he's supposed to find these people, and Barney tells him that he can simply concentrate and teleport to where they are. Max stretches out his eyelids horizontally and magically finds the girl whose soul he needs to collect. By concentrating harder, he's able to teleport himself to the room she's in. Unfortunately, she happens to be in the ladies' room, and so he appears behind her there. He rushes flustered out of the room, but on the way, we see his shoulder in a mirror, breaking the rule that we just set up that the character and his Whoops. clothes don't have reflections. <laughs> Outside the bathroom, Max is able to teleport himself back to his own apartment building. Barney recommends that Max look before he leaps next time, and also tells him about another magical power that he's been given. He can control things, and people, I guess, but all he has to do is think a command at them, and they'll do what he says. Upstairs in the complex, someone complains about an appliance on the fritz, and I assume this meant that he was just going to start using his devil powers to fix everyone's apartments. Right. But we learn a technicality here, that for the magic power to work, he has to be within eyesight. So it's not going to work, like, he can fix someone's air conditioning for as long as he's in the room with them. 
but when he leaves, it'll break. But also, the whole subplot of the tenants needing help is the, irrelevant. It, it, yeah, it's totally irrelevant. It, Other it, than to show that he's a slumlord and he deserved to go to hell. In yeah, I, I I thought it was gonna there was gonna be some kind of like batteries not included or the super kind of aspect of this where he does turn something around for this building. Yeah, but he never does that. In fact, I don't think do even ever, at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, like I don't even think we ever go back here. We do a couple times. Oh, okay. Yeah. Max asks what happens to the people after he gets them to sign their contracts, and Barney explains that they will go to hell at the end of their natural lives. We cut to a nightclub where one of Max's three marks, Stella Summers, is waiting just off stage for her cue to perform. They notice a record executive in the crowd, and Stella worries aloud that she won't perform well tonight. Suddenly, Max leans in and promises she'll do great because he's very lucky. We also start a running gag here where Max has evidently cut himself shaving and he still has little paper towel bits stuck all over his face. You realize that it took me to like three quarters of the way through the film to realize why why this is happening. Because they never spell it out specifically. Yeah, and I'm just like, why does he constantly have these things on his face? Like he cut himself shaving. I'm like, oh yeah, he has no reflection. Mm -hmm. That's it. I get it. Even though the girls recognize him from having wandered through the ladies' room earlier, they still don't seem weirded out by his promise that she'll do great here tonight. Stella Summers is introduced to the crowd and takes the stage. Bizarrely, she introduces herself to the crowd as being from Topanga Canyon, like it's his own private subculture <laughs> yeah. and not just a street in Los Angeles. She, I mean, she talks about it. Well, I mean, it's there is a Topanga Canyon, like an actual canyon. Right, but it's people don't say, I'm from Topanga no, Canyon. No, but she does talk about it throughout the entire film. Like, it does actually yeah. have its own subculture. Like, there are, you know... There is a way of life out there. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally different for people who live in like other canyons. There's like <laughs> Can't 20 think canyon of another roads. name yeah. of a canyon right now. Decker Canyon, <laughs> Las Virginis Canyon Road. <laughs> people who just live off the side of the street. She starts her song in a quiet and weak voice and the audience is immediately booing her. Suddenly she switches over into her full strength voice and the audience turns around. The song she sings is called Any Fool Could See. And it goes on for several minutes. I actually don't hate the song, but I'm not sure we needed to hear it beginning to end three or four times over the course of the story. When she finishes, the crowd explodes into applause and the record executive from Blizzard Records tracks her down to invite her to record some songs at their studio. Max catches her just off stage. Just stick with me, kid. What? Unless she for some reason believes that he's supernaturally lucky which she has no reason to believe yet, wouldn't she just assume that this guy is a creep and contributed in no way to her performance? Yeah. Apparently she does, though, because she asked the record exec if Max can come to the record. Max flashes back behind a desk at his home, and we cut to his second target, Nelson Nordlinger, who is in bed reading a motocross magazine, but when he hears his mother opening the door, he trades it for a textbook. I think it also took me like half the film to realize that they were saying Nordlinger and not just Nerdlinger. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not a huge jump from what they started with. They changed <laughs> one letter so that they're like, what should we call this nerd? Nerdlinger? No, that's too obvious. <laughs> it's like in the Revenge of the Nerds movie where there's literally the characters named Poindexter. Yeah. He convinces his mother that he stayed up late reading the UCLA Law Review, but as soon as she leaves the room, he trades it for the motocross magazine again. We cut back to Max in his apartment, and we understand that he was just watching this interaction without teleporting there. On the high school campus the next day, all of Nelson's friends are piling into a car with a motocross bike in the car, but they don't let Nelson join. 
Just forget it, nurse. Why? Because nurse don't do dangerous stuff. Max pulls into the parking lot, driving a car labeled Max's Mobile Motocross School. Now, I'm assuming that he made this car with his powers? He just yeah. magically conjured it up? Yeah. I guess. That's possible. I, I, I feel like he has, Sometimes like... he spends money on things, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as like... But but does can he manifest money so it doesn't matter? Like Only as long as he yeah, can see and it. <laughs> and then when he leaves, it's just like, wait, where'd the money go that that guy just gave me? <laughs> And then he just gets murdered in the street. I, I really want there to be some kind of crazy <laughs> system of rules like like that. Like that he can pretty much do anything he wants as long as, as he can see yeah. it. Barney shows up and he just stabs him with a sword. He's like, I conjured a sword that could kill Barney Satins. Nelson flags down Max's car and asks if he takes beginners. I said it depends on how badly you want to learn. Oh, a lot. Nelson hops in the car and they drive out to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's like this high school kid just got in a dude's car and he's like, we're going to the desert, buddy. Let's go. Don't tell your friends. You boys like Mexico. Max never claims but heavily implies that he trained professional motocross racer Roger DeCoster and says that when he's done with Nelson, he's going to make DeCoster look like molasses. Nelson takes off on a bike, and it seems like he's doing well as he races toward the top of a nearby hill. Suddenly, Barney rolls up on the motorcycle very slowly and gently to remind Max, Just thought I'd remind you that a magic property lasts only as long as you and the subject are within sight of each other. Max realizes he just sent this nerd over a hill on a death trap that he can't control. Max races to catch up with the kid, but he crashes the bike the second he's out of Max's sight. He crashes right next to another motocross racer who happens to be out here in the middle of nowhere and introduces himself as Big Billy Hunnaker. Nelson changes his name slightly. Sheriff Nerf with a V. Max lectures the kid about leaving his line of sight so early in his training. We cut to a nearby carnival where a child is being told that he's too young to enter alone when Max leans in, claiming to be the kid's uncle and pays for a ticket. The kid's name is Toby Hart, and he and Max go on some rides together. For the first two targets, Max could tell right away what they wanted most, but he's having to work really hard with this kid to get an answer from him of what he wants. He tries guessing a few things, but the kid doesn't want anything he offers and suggests invisibility powers so that he can come to the carnival for free all the time. But the kid says, if you were my dad, I could come here for free anyway, because you'd always have to buy my ticket. Turns out the kid's dad is dead, and his mom is so shaken up about it that she lets her kid wander off to the fairgrounds for hours and hours by himself. And doesn't bother explaining to him, don't let creepy men yeah. pretend to be your uncle and buy you shit. Don't get in their cars <laughs> for rides back here. When they get back to his home, Max sees that Toby's mother runs a daycare where she cares about other people's kids more than her own kid. Mrs. Hart, or Penny, as we'll come to know her, is not disturbed enough that her son has spent the entire day hanging out with a middle-aged man at the fair. I found out all about him. He's in real estate, he's 38 years old, he's not married, and he loves little kids. Oh, I'll bet. The problem here is that when she says, oh, I'll bet, she's not saying, yeah, he looks like a creep, I bet he's into little kids. She's literally saying, oh, I'll bet, like, what you're describing sounds too good to be true. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure. Oh, my gosh. I just totally assumed that she was thinking he was a pedophile. Isn't that dark for a Disney movie, though? Yeah. I mean, this one did already have hell in it. Oh, my gosh. I didn't. It didn't even occur to me that that was what that actual meaning was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the implication. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because of the implication. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, that's from Always Sunny. 
She warns her son against trying to set her up with strange men, as she tells Toby that for all they know, Max is a murderer. Toby opens the window curtains to show her that he's not a murderer because he's playing with all the kids that she left in the yard with a suspected murderer. <laughs> They're playing a clapping game where they all say their names and take turns and clap. And, <laughs> and tell me where you live. Yeah. Oh, God. Everybody say your address on three. Wait, the, you know what? That, that didn't work out. One at a time. <laughs> yeah. We cut to a recording booth where Stella is trying to get her song recorded and we're in the middle of take 41, which she's fucking up again because Max is not there. Back in Penny Hart's daycare yard, Penny is distracted by a phone call for a moment, but when she returns to the kids, they're looking all over the yard for Uncle Max, implying that he just vanished into thin air. <laughs> and the kids are like, where did he go? Is he hiding in this barrel? But no, he teleported to the recording booth. He steps out between takes 42 and 43, and he urges them to sit back and get ready for a gold take. She's going to knock this one out of the park. Stella launches into a perfect performance of her song, for several minutes for the second time in the film. Under the song, we get a montage of her records flying off store shelves as her single flies up the billboard charts. Later, we see Max call Toby and ask to speak with his mother. Tell him that I'm not, tell him that I'm not here. She says to say she's not here. Huh? Well, then you tell her it's somebody else. I have to talk to her. He says to say he's someone else. Her excuse would probably work better than his does, because we already know that there's a decent chance if Toby's home that his mother isn't. Penny abandons the children in her yard to answer the phone call from Max. She tells him to leave her and her son alone, and he tells her that he's fallen madly in love with her, but she hangs up on him mid-sentence. They haven't spoken to each other yet. Correct. Yeah. We cut to a house party at some rich person's house, and there's a jacuzzi in the middle of a staircase. People are dancing all over, and one man, wearing a sport coat is walking around the party with a microphone like he's doing color commentary. He tells us, the audience, that Stella signed a contract with Blizzard Records for the high six figures. Barney Satin appears at the party and asks Max what percentage of that contract will go to him. Max knows better than to respond to the invisible man's questions at a crowded party this time. But he signals him 20%. Yeah. And Barney seems impressed. Yeah. <laughs> For whatever reason, the music playing at this house party sounds like a fucking high school marching band, and the footage is being edited to the beat of the music, which is way too fast <laughs> and very disorienting. One of the quick shots in the sequence is of Cosby doing his pudding pop face that he used in those commercials. <laughs> Max, which, which is pointless because no one can see him. Yeah, he's just having fun. Max starts following Stella around the party with a contract, trying in vain to get her signature, but she's not having it. Max is still covered in paper towel bits from cutting himself shaving. He has been since I first mentioned it. Every single scene he's covered in these things. Like, you would expect this to be a bit for a couple scenes, but not every scene of the movie. Get an electric razor. Oh, that, it happens. Do you guys recall the last film where a character couldn't stop cutting himself shaving? It was also because of a curse. No. Witch's Brew! Ah. Uh. Oh, because his okay. wife was making him super lucky so that he didn't cut himself shaving but when he she took all the spells off shave yeah he just cut himself so every funny. day i yeah but that that is a plot point later that she gets him an electric razor. as a gift she gets yeah. him an electric razor yeah i think in witch's brew i joked that if i were that character i would just have a beard after like two days <laughs> i'd be like all right looks like i'm growing a beard i mean i, I have a beard so that, that tracks <laughs> <laughs> never shaved to this day yeah <laughs> this started because i kept cutting myself because i don't have a reflection what what nothing 
We cut from here to a motocross event just getting started. We hear a man in the announcer booth say that they have a little boy with a red shirt and green pants waiting by the announcer stand. I like the suggestion that the kid knows exactly what's going on, but somehow his parents are too stupid to understand where they've ended up at this motocross event. I feel like I've heard that before, though, to try to make the kid feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, sorry, your parents are idiots. We'll find them. <laughs> and he's just worried for them. As they register, Max tells Nerve Nordlinger to sign up as an expert, and the kid does it, despite his better instinct. We see Big Billy arrive at the event, and his pregnant wife notices that the Nakaguchi scouts are here at the event. We never see these people again. <laughs> this is irrelevant that the scouts are here. They're excited to make waves at this competition, and Max tries to give Nerve some very simple instructions to win the race. Very simple. You start, you ride like a bat out of hell, and you win. Have you ever seen one of our bats? Uh, scratch that. You start, and you win. Not that there was any danger of this kid actually mistakenly emulating a hell bat, which he's probably never seen. As the race kicks off, Max runs to the high ground where he can see the entire track at once. Just as he crosses the finish line to win the race, a bunch of Nordlinger's friends from high school show up to cheer him on. They all crowd around and ask him how he won the race as if it weren't obvious from watching. Max advises him to just tell people that his strategy is a secret. He could also just say, I raced faster than the other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a trick. Like, I got the ball in the hoop more times. Like, <laughs> how did yeah. you win? Like, <laughs> Max has now made it clear to his singer and motocross racer that neither can perform without him present. We cut to a tennis court where Penny is practicing, and like clockwork, her son has been left alone to his own devices. Toby leans over to collect the ball from under the net when suddenly a big dirty shoe lands right in front of him and it's played like a frightening moment before we tilt up to see Max is here making jokes about being the kid's dad already like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> Toby warns Max that he has competition. There's a decent chance that Penny will marry Larry Binder, her boring tennis coach. Max asks Toby to find a way to waste his mother's time before they get back to the house. When Penny finally arrives home, she finds workmen installing a brand new yard of grass and play equipment. She doesn't understand what's happening until Max takes credit for the gesture and also mentions having spent his life savings doing this. He thinks this is a flattering moment, but it's a huge red flag that a stranger would spend his life savings for someone that he's never actually met. Mm -hmm. He takes Penny out on a date to a pasta place, and she makes fun of all the cuts on his face. As they drive... Max complains to her about how hard being a landlord is, especially all the shitty kids in his building. He rants about kids for a really long time, and the whole time her face is melting, like she's just so disappointed that this guy doesn't like children. But eventually she admits that they drive her crazy too sometimes. We cut to them rollerblading with a bunch of her kids out in Venice. Later they kiss by a fireplace, and we cut to a concert venue where Stella is about to take the stage, and Max tells her to wait for his cue to start. She launches into her song again when she finds him in the audience with Penny. We see Max on a flight, probably following Stella on tour, and then we see him at a motocross event getting splashed with mud when Nordlinger starts his bike. He warps back to the flight, covered in mud suddenly, and what surprises the guy sitting next to him isn't that he vanished and reappeared, but that he's now covered in mud. Why did you even get on a plane? Just say you'll take another flight and then blink yeah. yourself to wherever you're right? going. You literally never have to get on a plane again. We see Stella looking bummed in a hotel for a minute, and then we cut to her on stage again. 
Barney surprises Max from above the stage and pretends to drop a sandbag on the record executive. Max pushes the exec to the floor before he realizes this was a prank. Max scrambles around backstage looking for Barney and kicks in a bathroom stall only to find the wrong man. Oh, there you are, you obnoxious! Hold on. Oh, sorry. Hey, hey, it's okay. We're all show business here, you know. That's right. What did this guy think was happening? I don't know. <laughs> Do you think he was, like, here for drugs or love? What, what is he talking about? We're all show business. Well, and, and who cleans a stall by closing the door behind them? I don't know. This guy. Barney shows up and reminds Max about the deadline, but Max says that if he rushes these people, he could blow the whole deal. This was the first moment that I suspected that his plan all along was just to help three people and then fail the contract at the end on purpose because he just wanted to redeem some of his life. I I did not get yeah, that at I, all. That's what I, I thought never was thought that was. <laughs> Barney seems impressed by Max's commitment to getting these contracts signed. Max moves into Stella's dressing room and tries again to get her to sign a management contract, but she doesn't see the point since she already pays him his 20%. He threatens not to show up, and she points out that he'd lose his share. Well, I don't know. Then you get 20% of nothing. I mean, why would you do a dumb thing like that? Max meets with Toby on the beach and starts talking out the contract with him. In exchange for Max becoming his father, Toby offers baseball cards, a rock collection, and a bunch of other trash. Toby agrees to the contract, but refrains from signing it until the wedding is complete. Barney is impressed with the kid. At another motocross event, or probably for budgetary reasons the same motocross event, Max presents Nordlinger with his contract, and the kid points out that soul is spelled wrong. Soul is spelled S-O-L-E, not S-O-U-L. That's three for three, contracts unsigned. Why would the contract be misspelled? No, he he put the word S-O-U-L but Nordlinger thinks that he's saying something about sole ownership. Oh. Yeah. And he's telling him he spelled it wrong. Back at Max's apartment complex, the pool is overflowing with kids, despite the rule against them. Max leaves Penny with the kids because he has to get to another concert since they extended the tour. After he leaves, Toby complains that Max promised to take him to the fair after swimming. Hey, isn't one fun thing enough for a day? Let's not get greedy, kid. We cut to Stella and Max alone in the massive concert venue. She speaks on her loneliness and asks for a dime to make a phone call. She can't get through and starts crying. And Max asks if she's homesick for Topanga Canyon, which again is part of Los Angeles. You can't be homesick for a place you drove past on the way here. (laughs) She admits that she's actually from Brooklyn, which explains the thick New Yorker accent she's been speaking with the entire time. She talks about how her parents warned her against pursuing entertainment as a career. She's realizing now that they were just trying to protect her. Max is realizing that he might have ruined this girl's life by giving her a glimpse of unsustainable success. We cut to the play area at Penny's daycare, and Toby tells them that the deal is off. For a guy who can teleport instantly from one place to another, he seems to be really disappointing a lot of these targets by never being around. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he doing with all of his spare time? He could spend three hours a day with each of these people comfortably. Yeah. And he's not doing that. Penny overhears Max and Toby discussing their marriage, and together they talk Toby into approving of the plan, reminding him how boring the tennis coach alternative is. That night, Max is driving and talking out his schedule with Barney. The wedding is scheduled between two rounds of motocross, and there's a concert that night. He pulls up to the Grammys, and the crowd is shoving Stella around as she looks very sad. She wins her award, though, and when she goes up to accept it, her acceptance speech is curt and rude, and she says she did it all by herself. Well, yeah, but uh, 
in the in the crowd of people leading up to the Grammys, there are people asking for autographs, and uh, this he is hands the contract. Yeah, Max sneaks the contract in there as if it was a, a book to sign an autograph. Right, and immediately upon signing it, her demeanor changes toward him, but she gets up on stage to accept her award, and she says, "It was a long, hard pull, man." And I got nobody to thank but myself. And it sounds like Barney has accepted this as her contract is signed. You got two more to go. We cut to the next motocross event where Nordlinger is about to race and Max throws another contract at him. But this time he signs it in spite of the typos, which Max promises to solve later. There are several dozen racers, but the commenters seem to be framing this as a rematch between Nordlinger and Honecker. We cut right to the wedding of Max and Penny Hart. As soon as the vows are out of the way and the bride and groom have kissed, Max races over to Toby during the reception to get that contract signed now that he's delivered his end of the deal. As soon as the contract is signed, Toby's opinion of Max vanishes and he tells his mom that he hates her new husband. She tells him that that's very natural and just get over it. In fact, I hate Max. Shh. You should have thought of that before. Now shape up. Okay. That's what she tells her kid. Mm-hmm. I would have taken this as like a, wait, what did he do to you? Like, why <laughs> why do you hate this man all of yeah. a sudden? We need to have a conversation. Barney shows up and informs Max that as of midnight tonight, the souls will be transferred to his possession. Max reminds him that the deal stipulated that these people would keep their souls until the natural ends of their lives. And Barney says, I lied. They're all going to die at midnight. <laughs> That's not how a Faustian bargain works. The devil doesn't just change the rules. It's just shitty. He makes rules and then he sticks by them and it's bad that he's stuck by them. But the devil's not allowed to just change the details of the contract. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Devil is in the details. Max finds all the contracts that he's gotten signed and he makes plans to destroy them to save the lives of his three targets when suddenly Barney, now looking fully painted up like a devil with red skin and fur and horns and shit with fire behind him, starts screaming at him in Bill Cosby's like loud like stand-up voice burn those contracts and eternal damnation is yours in spite of barney's threat max burns the contracts in the fireplace and penny walks in to find him looking despondent she asks if he's okay and he says he has to leave to help some people but he promises to come back as soon as possible i don't think he has to help anyone though he burned the contracts yeah he's he's done that he already helped those people i i mean i feel like he's trying to just get out so that he doesn't die in front of them Uh, maybe but he comes back (laughs) he says he has to leave to help some people and promises to come back as soon as possible for some reason now that time is a factor max is driving to the motocross event instead of just teleporting there well i I assume that he doesn't have the power i think think he lost his power that makes sense i didn't think of that by the time max is arriving the announcers are already discussing hunnaker's win on account of nordlinger injuring himself in his trainer's absence Max finds Nordlinger and asks what happened, and it turns out he didn't injure himself on the bike. He literally tripped and fell between races and has taken himself out of contention. And quitting motocross. Right, yeah, he's he's totally done with it. It turns out that he tripped over a lady that looks suspiciously similar to the woman who tripped Max on his way to getting hit by a bus, but I don't think it's her, right? No. It's not Agent no, Hargraves. But I it's, think it's, it's heaven's equivalent of Agent right, Hargraves. Right, I think it's a different agent. Yeah. But he talks to her like she's God, not like she's an agent of God. 
Nordlinger apologizes for quitting racing and tells Max that maybe they'll see each other again somewhere down the line. Max tells him that he never wants to see Nordlinger again because he thinks he's going to hell tonight and he doesn't want to see Nordlinger there. Max meets up with Stella and tries to convince her to quit before she goes on stage. You're going to go out there and die. You're going to fall flat on your face. I am not. I am not. He tells her that she can't sing without him, but she doesn't believe him. He heads back home and Toby is waiting up for him. He tells Toby at midnight that he has to leave and he won't be back. Penny walks in on Max explaining to Toby that he and his mother will get along fine without him. Toby heads to his room and Penny professes her love for Max. He can't accept her love because he thinks he's unlovable. The only trouble with you, Max, is you have no self-image. You noticed? He turns to look at the living room mirror and realizes he has a reflection again, implying that his soul isn't in hell anymore. And he somehow won the bet, even though he clearly failed. Yeah, there, and, w- there was no bet. Yeah, it, it, but he acts like, oh, I defeated the devil with this contract. And it's like, what? No, you, you didn't collect the soul, so you, you're going to die and go to hell. That was the agreement. See, like, that's the difference between a movie like this and, like, the movie, uh, I've only seen the more recent Bedazzled. Yeah. Uh, but that was, like, a thing about this deal is that, you know, spoiler alert, if you make an altruistic gesture with this power... That you're that, you were released from... Correct. Yeah. Which, it, it makes sense that because he decided to sacrifice himself to save these three people that God or a representative yeah. of God would step in and protect him from this. Right. Correct. But we don't see that spelled out here as though that's what happened. It's mm-hmm. just, we have to assume that's what happened because he doesn't go to hell at the end. Or at least not in what we see but we don't we don't follow him past midnight we don't even get to midnight so maybe he does go to hell still in my head canon he does (laughs) (laughs) max starts raving like a lunatic about devils and angels in hell and penny offers to call a doctor to have him committed like she should have said i was very happy that she came to the proper conclusion here that he is going crazy i made the right choice and the devil lost my soul he lost me I'm going to call a doctor. And he tells her that he loves her and that he'll stay with them. He collects Toby, and the three of them race across town to catch the tail end of Stella's concert. Before the show, with Max's seat still empty, Stella announces to the crowd that she's taking some time away from singing because she misses her family after this concert. She's going to do this show, and then she's going to take a break, but then she's going to come back and sing Mm -hmm. professionally still. Yeah. It's so convoluted and unnecessary. Could have just been a concert. But instead she... Because now, as the audience, we're worried that she doesn't have enough family time. So she has to explain, I'm going to take some family time, but don't worry, I'll still be a successful singer. <laughs> and uh, and she starts her song without him there. And it turns out that Max was a magic feather. She can sing without him just fine. She just needed the confidence. And at the end of the song, Max shows up with his new wife and child. And he looks to heaven and thanks it before a freeze frame finish. And that's the end of our film the end so i shot out a thing on twitter to see what everybody's favorite devil in a movie is is cosby technically the devil i guess he's not but he's dressed as the devil i mean he's clearly playing a devil character kind of guy and he's a representative of the devil because he's the one presenting these contracts there's no real official devil just the ceo i guess yeah they they refer to the chairman of the board character who's sitting on this big throne but Mm -hmm. he doesn't look more devilish than cosby in this devil costume (laughs) 
but uh, when I posted it on Twitter, I shared my choice of my favorite movie devil is Adam Sandler from Dirty Work um, <laughs> when he's uh, cooking a pig mm-hmm. on, a, on an open fire. And uh, it's it's during a hallucination scene where Artie Lang and Norm MacDonald have volunteered to try brownies for a company to get some extra money. And Norm is having a complete meltdown and Artie doesn't feel it at all. Um, but Jesse, what was your uh, what was your favorite movie devil? Well, I uh, the first one that came to mind was Gary Marshall from Hocus Pocus. Yes. But again, technically, probably not the devil. Uh, well, I think the witches think he is. <laughs> they think he is, but yeah. he's not. He's going along with it, so I don't know if it counts. But then I remembered... Uh, Danny Elfman is the devil in Forbidden Zone, and I'm like, that's way better. It's a good choice, and we've covered the film on the show, so yeah. it's more fitting. Um, and then, uh, Richard, what was yours? Uh, I picked uh, Peter Stormare in Constantine, because one, Peter Stormare is just always a charmer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and him as this version of the devil in a white suit with barefoot, though, with just like slimy, greasy, black, oily feet. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a different portrayal of the devil because he's in like all white with pale skin and no yeah. like he doesn't have horns or anything correct or... yeah yeah and and he's just so fun <laughs> yeah that's a good choice um some of the other twitter suggestions uh dr butcher md2 suggested jeff goldblum from mr frost and then as a runner-up vigo mortensen from the prophecy okay What's Mr. Frost? I don't even think I've heard of that movie. I had only heard about it very recently, but he's like a person in a psychiatric ward who thinks he's the devil and then people start to think that he is. It's got supernatural elements. It sounds really cool, actually. Um, It's like 1990-ish. Roughly Bumble said Burgess Meredith in a Twilight Zone episode called Printer's Devil which is kind of a Faustian bargain story. Yeah, I think I think Burgess Meredith has this really crooked cigar as the devil in that one. And... uh, uh, Ruffley's runner-up was Elizabeth Hurley in the Bedazzled remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main Damie had another vote for Elizabeth Hurley. The Burn After Pitching podcast and Ken Anderson both suggested Peter Cook from the original Bedazzled. Mm-hmm. The Beard Al podcast suggested John Lovitz the in the Halloween store devil costume from SNL sketches. Where oh. It's, oh. Like, it's like Kevin Nealon <laughs> stopping him on his way out of the people's yeah, court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Canon Film Guide suggested Mr. Boogalow from the Apple, which is obviously on brand oh, for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, and his runner-up was Jose Luis Aguirre as El Diablo in Rene Cardona's 1959 film Santa Claus, aka Santa Claus versus the Devil. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen a couple frames from it, but it looks uh, like an entertaining one. The 80s and 90s dot com, the Media Path podcast, and Jeff Feitner all suggested Pacino from The Devil's Advocate. Okay. The 100 Things We Learned from Film podcast jumped in with John Candy from like two seconds of planes, trains, and automobiles <laughs> <laughs> when they're skidding along the freeway. Yeah. At Ray Scene at Last suggested Harvey Keitel from Little Nicky. Mm. So it's another Adam Sandler adjacent devil. It's funny when you said John Candy, I immediately thought of Francis as the devil in Pee Wee's Dream. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. That's a good one, too. Uh, at Burgers Brandon suggested Roy Thinnis from Satan's School for Girls. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, <laughs> is that a movie? Yeah. Oh. At Bespin74 picked Jack Nicholson in Witches of Eastwick, which oh, I forgot he was cool. actually that's the a devil. Good one. Yeah. That was a good choice. Daryl Van, or is it Daryl or Darren Van Horn? Was this I can't remember. Yeah. 
Uh, and Jamie underscore 81 went with Robert De Niro in Angel Heart. Hmm. I did not know that that was about. I didn't either, actually. I haven't seen it. Our director here was Stephen Hilliard Stern. He has mostly TV movies. I didn't recognize a lot of his work before this one. Um, the story and writing was from Mary Rogers, who's the daughter of Richard Rogers of Rogers and Hammerstein. And uh, she had previously written Freaky Friday for Disney based on her own children's book. The story, as I said before, was Jimmy Sangster. He wrote a bunch of Hammer films, including Blood of Dracula. Uh, just prior to this, he wrote the screenplay for John Huston's Phobia. And this was his last feature before Flashback in 2000. Music was provided by Buddy Baker. That's just the, the score, not the songs, but the score. Uh, he did the score for the Apple Dumpling Gang movies, Shaggy D.A., Fox and the Hound, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. The songs that she actually sings in the movie, Stella's songs, are written by Marvin Hamlish. Uh, the songs were released on a single, but they did not perform well. But Hamlish has an EGOT, and he also has a Peabody Award, which makes him one of two PGOT winners. <laughs> the other being Mary Rogers' father, Richard Rogers. Um, he's the only other PGOT winner. But uh, Hamlish also composed the score for Seems Like Old Times last year, and Sophie's Choice, Daryl, Three Men and a Baby, and more recently, The Informant. Elliot Gould was Max Devlin. He's in MASH, The Long Goodbye. We saw him last year in another Disney biblical thing called Last Flight of Noah's Ark. And the bottom movie on my list, Falling in Love Again. <laughs> uh, he was married to Barbara Streisand from our last film. Bill Cosby played Barney Satin. Uh, his wife tried to talk him out of this role, but he wanted to play the devil since the role has traditionally been played by white men up to this point. He, <laughs> I feel like that's one you could leave yeah, to white men. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> he was on I Spy, The Electric Company, The Cosby Show. He's obviously a well-known comedian. He's Mother in Mother Jugs and Speed, and he's Dad in Ghost Dad. He also took over the role of Leonard for Leonard Part 6. <laughs> I think that's what the first movie was called. Yeah. Uh, also, in Ghost Dad, he does refer to himself as the devil at one point. Does he? To the cab driver. Now stop the damn cab! Hey! Do you or something? Wait a minute. I am Satan. I command you. Before he dies? Yes, before he dies. Because that's how he dies, right? The cab driver, like... Drives off a bridge, Drive off a bridge, and then he's trying to get his wallet Mm -hmm. when the car goes over the water. Oh, he also raped a bunch of ladies, and he's in prison now. Should mention that. Uh, Susan Onspach played Penny Hart. We saw her last year as Catherine Van Oost in our Patreon review of Five Easy Pieces. She was Jack Nicholson's second girlfriend. Adam Rich played Toby Hart. This was his first film. He was in Eight is Enough. He's the voice of Presto the Magician on the Dungeons and Dragons series. He played himself in Dickie Roberts' former child star. Weirdly, I know him best from a book. Specifically, Dave Eggers' A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, where Eggers shares a true story about orchestrating a prank faking Adam Rich's death with his full cooperation. In hindsight, it was a terrible idea, but also in foresight. <laughs> Julie Budd played Stella Summers. This was her first film. In 2005, she re-recorded her song for an album called The New Classics. Uh, Not much else, uh, but she does have a song on the soundtrack for our next Disney film, Amy, starring Jenny Agutter. David Nell played Nerve Nordlinger. He looks enough like an Ernie to play one in Total Recall and Turner and Hooch. He also plays Craig in Splash, whoever that is. 
Deborah Baltzel played Heidi. That's Stella's friend who's at mm-hmm. the first couple shows, but then yeah. stops showing up to them. Uh, she was the girl in Altered States who they tested drugs on who says, I feel like my heart is being touched by Christ. Ronnie Shell played Greg Weems. He appears in The Cat from Outer Space as the voice of the titular cat from outer space. Nice. Stanley Brock was the counterman. He was Big Mama's promoter Myron in All the Marbles later this season. He's also in a 1981 title we don't have on the list called Long Shot, starring Leif Garrett as a professional foosball player. It did not get a wide release. Uh, maybe that'll get a minisode eventually. I know him best as Harvey Bilcheck, the uncle of Weird Al's George Newman character in UHF, the one who wins the station in a game of cards and gifts it to Weird Al. Ted Ziegler played Mr. Billings. This was his last film. Army Archer played himself. He also played himself in Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood last year. And his wife, Selma Archer, has been in Underground Aces and Can't Stop the Music for us. Mindy Sterling played a fan at the Grammys. I didn't see her in there. Yeah, I didn't see her. But she's somewhere in the crowd, and she's Frau Farbisna from the Austin Powers movies. And that's everybody I had for the credits. Uh, I did want to point out something. Uh, which I think is funny because they use the footage from the black hole for the hellscape. Yeah. Um, in that movie, the black hole, there is a robot named Maximilian or Max. Um, that's and, a Slim Pickens voiced robot. Uh, no, 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 no. no. The, Maximilian is a horrifying robot. Oh, okay. Um, and again, part of that crazy ending of that movie is that that Maximilian robot is like, becomes like the devil. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's funny that the, both those characters are named Max and they use the footage from Oh, that's Black funny. Hole. Yeah, I didn't think it was like, that. It was like a weird Disney connection. Max, the devil, and, and hell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, this movie's okay. It's not terrible. Uh, it's not great. It feels like a Disney movie. Um, as far as Elliot Gould movies we've covered, I'd say it might be the best one. Or maybe second. No. Actually, it's not as good as Noah's Ark. No, yeah, Noah's it, Ark was no, much more I, engaging. Yeah, it was more engaging, made more sense, uh, all around better movie. Yeah, it was just corny. Um, I, I also feel like the rules aren't spelled out clearly enough, and the devil just blatantly violates them randomly. Yeah. Like, what, what difference does it make to the plot that they're going to die tonight at midnight? Like, you've still doomed these people to hell. Right. You were fine with that? It's just not okay if it happens right, right now. Because he's, and he's not even, he doesn't feel bad about the kid dying. He says, you can't kill this child. His mom will be so upset and I have to live with her now. Right. <laughs> it's like, he doesn't care about the kid dying. He's worried yeah. about what it's going to do to the kid's mother. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was going to be my argument about this whole thing was like, you know, you you read, you read the synopsis, you know, and, and it talks about him you know, thinking that there's still good in the world, but I don't really feel like we get that turn right. in his character at all. Like he doesn't—he doesn't feel like he's trying to redeem himself. N- n- yeah, not at all. And I guess maybe at the end he's like, "I gotta help people," but like, th- it's not a transition. It's right. just there's like, yeah. The 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 catalyst is literally I'm gonna kill them at midnight. He's like, "Oh, okay," and he throws the things in the fire. Yeah, and that's the entire transformation. Right, because up until that point, he's pretty much a dick the whole time. Yeah, he was ready to doom all these people to hell until he said that. Yeah. If the devil was smart, he wouldn't have said anything. He would have just let the guy think that the contract was going to play out the way it right. was until midnight, and then everybody would have died. Yeah. And then the mom would have been kicking herself like, oh, my God, my son told me at the wedding 
that he didn't trust this guy and he thought that my new husband was evil and my son died at midnight that night after yeah. my new husband was being really cagey and went to a concert and a motocross event. Right. And I didn't... After I didn't, my new husband had so several alibis. Yeah. <laughs> he has alibis on, like on different sides of the continent. Um, But yeah. Yeah. It's still a thumbs down. Yeah, it's a thumbs yeah, down. down. Um, Where's this going on your lists? Uh, I have this, uh, pretty, pretty low actually. Um, this is actually, <laughs> uh, just going right on top of, uh, last week's movie. Uh, so it's right below Charlie Chan and right above all night long. All right. Number 16. I have this at number 16, <laughs> right below Charlie Chan, but it's above earthbound for me. Cause I had uh, all night long lower. I have it at 15, so similar placement. Also below Charlie Chan and above Earthbound, though. Nice. Um, so we all agreed that this movie sucks Charlie Chan's balls. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's everything for The Devil and Max Devlin. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. You can find the button at the top of our .com and join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future. Also search for Vintage Video Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to our new channel there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Maniac, which IMDb describes like so. A psychotic man, troubled by his childhood abuse, loose in New York City, kills young women, and takes their scalps as his trophies. Will he find the perfect woman in a photographer? And end his killing spree? Oh, I hope so. I hope things end happily for the murderer. <laughs> we leave you now with the trailer for Maniac. Maniac, you can lock your doors. But you can't lock the madman out of your mind. life out of you.